Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC 282, Jan Blachowicz versus Magomed Ankaliev for the vacant UFC light heavyweight title. And it's going down this Saturday night live at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Two of the top light heavyweights on planet Earth. I mean, you got Jan Blachowicz, the former UFC light heavyweight champion, taking on a man that many consider to be the dark horse of the 205-pound division. They're going to fight for the vacant title. Obviously, you know, fan favorite, Yuri Prohaska, had to vacate that belt. You know, props to him, man. He uh, had a very serious shoulder injury. He could have held on to the belt and been like, look, I'm going to defend it when I come back. But he said he didn't want to hold up the division, so very admirable. They offered the fight to Glover. Glover said, I'll fight Jan. <laughs> I'll fight Jan in Vegas, but uh, Magomed, not so much. You know, Magomed, he needs some more time for I mean, I get it, um, but, you know, and there were people saying that they'd rather see Glover versus Jan. I was like, didn't we see that fight like a year ago and it wasn't even competitive? Like, what are y'all talking about? You just want to fuck over Magomed like that? So, yeah, I, I think they made the right call here. So Jan versus Magomed, that's the fight we got. So we're going to break down this whole card from the main event all the way down to the first prelim. So without further ado. Let's get down to business. So everyone do me that favor, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button, and let's get down, let's get down to business. All right, so main event of the evening for the light heavyweight belt. We got Jan Blachowicz. He's 29-9 representing Poland, taking on Magomed Ankaliev, who's 18-1, repping Russia. And currently at DraftKings Sportsbook, they got it. Magomed Ankaliev minus 265 with the comeback on Jan Blachowicz at plus 225. So, fantastic fight. So, what I like about this fight, firstly, let me just get this out the way. I bet on uh, on Magomed Ankaliev. Can't you tell by my beard? You know, you, you thought I was going to rock a beard like this and not pick Magomed Ankaliev? You were mistaken, but in all seriousness... There's a difference in how you view Magomed Ankaliev as a better and as a fan. As a fan, you can say he's boring, but really it actually comes down to the opponent. If you're content to just sit on the outside and play a counter-heavy game with Magomed Ankaliev, then, I mean, the game, the, the fight might be kind of boring from a fan's perspective. But if you're actually willing to bite down on that mouth on that mouthpiece and make it a real fight against Ankaliev, that's where he has his exciting finishes. That's where... The Iwan Kutalaba fight was exciting because Iwan Kutalaba tried to fight him. The Anthony Smith fight was exciting because Anthony Smith tried to make it a real fight. But, for example, the Tiago Santos fight, Tiago Santos wanted nothing to do with Magomed Ankaliev. And Magomed Ankaliev, like I was talking about how you like him as a better, what I like about him, he doesn't take any unnecessary risks. I mean, if, if you don't want to engage with him, he's not going to do something stupid to, to make the fight happen and just to entertain y'all. He's going to stay safe, which... As a betting man, you fucking love. I mean, no unnecessary risks, no bullshit. Fights from that southpaw stance, establishes his jab, and it's got a nasty counter right hook. And what's going to be important in this fight for that right hook is that Jan Blachowicz, man, that Polish power, I know that like he doesn't have that many knockouts on his record, but the Polish power is a real thing. I know people like to say it's a myth. He's only got 10 knockouts in fucking however many fights and close to 40 fights, but like... When he gets you, he gets you. And the thing about him is he's really, really good at stringing, you know, 
two punches, following it up with a body kick. He's got nasty kicks, man. I mean, you remember his debut against Ilya Latifi, folded him with a nasty body kick, all the way to when he won the title against Dominic Reyes, man. I mean, you saw the color. You saw the imprint of his foot on Dominic Reyes' ribs, man. Jan Blahovic can kick, and the beautiful thing about it is he's not setting up naked kicks. And by naked, you guys know what I mean. It's, it's throwing a kick without a setup. This guy goes upstairs with his punches, and then he'll set you up for that kick. So it's it's a legit thing. Here's what I'm worried about for Jan in this specific uh, fight. So Jan kind of, when he attacks with his combos, it's kind of in a straight line. It's kind of linear. And that's going to give Magomed Ankalaev the opportunity. You know, Magomed doesn't back straight up. Magomed is always circling. He's always hitting different angles. Plus, he's a southpaw, which Jan has had success against southpaws in the past whether it's luke rockle whether it's dominic reyes so izzy switches a lot so you know historically speaking jan's had success with southpaws but i think there's a different kind of southpaw i think that mago leave is very slick and he's not the kind of guy that you know if not much is going on he's not going to just get frustrated and charge you with his chin in the air which which is something we've actually seen jan do when he fought tiago santos it was you know kind of 10 minutes of just feelers and Jan was finally like all right fuck it like we need to we need to turn up we need to make this a fight and as soon as he did that he got countered big time you rush a guy like Ankh alive I'm telling you right now that counter right hook is going to be there all day and not to mention you start to give him time to start to get comfortable to start to feel his range that's when he'll start to set you up for his nasty left high kick and then the other big thing so while it could be competitive on the feet for sure and Jan Blahovic, he's got the power to hurt anybody. And you saw Magomed did get rocked in that uh, Tiago Santos fight. He actually got he, he got dropped in the Tiago Santos fight. But I don't want to sit here and call him chinny. It was actually back of the head. Not to mention when he was on the ground, he wasn't just covering up. I liked the way he was controlling the posture. And as soon as the bell rang and he got back up and walked to his corner, he wasn't wobbling all over the place. He walked to his corner pretty effortlessly. So seemed to me like it was just a flash knockdown. I don't think it's any indication of his chin. I guess the concern to me would be going back to his debut against Paul Craig, how, you know, on one hand, you look at it like, well, Paul Craig, he submitted Jamal Hill. He submitted Nikita Kurlov. And shout out to my boy Jamal Hill. He didn't tap. He let his arm break. He still wanted to win. Um, you know, he, uh, Paul Craig submitted Kennedy as well. There was only one second left in the fight and Ankali have tapped. Now I'm not debating that, you know, that triangle. if you've ever trained jujitsu before and you've ever been in a locked in triangle, feels like your eyes are about to pop out your fucking head. So I'm not debating that, you know, that shit was tied. That shit was locked in, but could he have survived one second before tapping? Yes. Yeah. So does that kind of question if adversity presents itself, you know, will he check out? I kind of think that that was kind of just a, a one-time thing and that Paul Craig, you know, he's a specialist. I don't want to blame it on debut. I don't want to blame it on jitters. I just want to give Paul Craig his credit. From time to time, the guy will catch some of the best guys in the world, as you've seen on, on his resume. And I don't really see I don't really see Jan getting submissions off his back. And the reason I bring that up is because one of the weaknesses Jan has had historically. So he's a he's a jujitsu black belt, and you've seen some of the chokes he's had, like against Devin Clark, against even Nikita Krilov. Like they're very unorthodox chokes, but like man, dudes are quick to tap against Jan. Like he's got a serious squeeze. The issue is when he gets taken down. Now it's very tough to pass his guard, but. It, on the on the flip side, it's very tough for Jan to get back up. Jan does not do a good job getting up from bottom. And that's something that potentially Magomed and Khalif can exploit. Now, Magomed doesn't have your typical wrestling game. You know, it's not usually singles and double legs. 
he's got a he's got a bit of that Greco-Roman background. So that means it's going to be kind of like upper body takedowns, body locks to trip, stuff like that. So I think there will be a time when he takes down Jan, but I don't think he's going to be shooting off the bat. I think they're going to stand, you know, and I think it's really up to Jan to to take those risks and to make it a quote unquote exciting fight. Now, with that being said, if Jan kind of sits back and counters, that's perfect for Anka leave. But on the flip side, if Jan says fuck it and really goes for it, I mean Magomed's going to be ready for that too. So I really think for Jan to win this, he's got to he's got to compromise Magomed. He's got to really hurt him. He's got to make him so gun shy that you know. Jan has those big moments where he's able to turn the tide of the fight. That's where I think Jan could have his best success. But I think that Magomed's defensively sound and responsible enough to avoid most of the big moments. You know, maybe he gets clipped a couple times, but I, I see Jan at most winning a round. You know, maybe two if he's lucky, but I, I think at most Jan wins a round. But besides that, you know, assuming the fight goes to decision and there's no finish. I think Magomed gets it four to one, probably, you know, just kind of lands the more effective volume on the outside, mixes in, you know, the well-timed takedown. Maybe the fight's kind of close. And then you go out there, you know, last minute, get that takedown. And, you know, people talk about how, oh, getting that last minute takedown doesn't steal rounds anymore. It doesn't steal rounds anymore when one dude's clearly winning on the feet and then the other guy shoots for dear life. But when it's 50-50 on the feet, and then you shoot for that takedown. That's how you steal a round. So Andy is asking me, do you think that Magomed could potentially be a bad nail? Shout out to Paul Craig. I mean, here's the thing. When he got dropped against Tiago Santos, he wasn't just covering up and letting the ref intervene. You know, he controlled the posture really well. He maintained his half guard. And then when he got back up to the corner, you know, like I said, he wasn't wobbling when he was walking. And when he was sitting on the stool, he didn't have his head down. He wasn't dejected. He went back out there in the third round and got right back on his game plan. So, you know, from what I've seen, you know, the most recent time he had to overcome adversity, he overcame it. And also in the Dolce fight, when he got wobbled against Dolce, he overcame that as well. Now, I want to give a shout out to Jan Blachowicz because, you know, I actually, I bet on Rakic in that fight. And at the time, I was really pissed off. I was like, oh, my God, a fluke injury. I actually took two weeks off from betting because that really, really, really bothered me. But going back and watching that fight, like, Jan's hands looked on point, man. I love the way he's able to mix it to the body, go body head. And, you know, shout out to Rocket. He's got a really good chin. He was able to take some hard shots. But back to that second round when when Rockage finally did say fuck it and he was like, all right, let's get this guy to the ground. He was able to hold him down for the duration of that second round. And I was very curious to see what would have happened in the subsequent rounds. But unfortunately, his knee blew out. Now, we got to give credit. Yeah, Jan does have – I heard a lot of people talking about how, oh, that's only due to the the checks that Jan has, you know, checking the leg kicks. And, yes, Jan does have good checks. You saw it in the Rockage fight. You saw it in the Izzy fight. But that the checks had nothing to do with the injury. If An injury that comes from checking a leg kick is like those leg breaks that you see, like, like Anderson Silva, like uh, – Corey Hill. Um, there were a few other ones, re uh, not recently. Uh, Wideman against Uriah Hall, right? Like that's like even Tyrone Spong in that kickboxing fight, right? Like those are injuries that come from from checking kicks. But what happened here was Rockage came into the fight with a blown out knee, 
thought that, hey, I'm, I'm going to just ride out some top control and win this fight anyways. Didn't want to pull out. And, and it backfired, you know, kind of like it backfired with TJ Dillashaw. Um, I don't, don't even make me bring up that fucking, uh, you know how we, how every year at the end of the year, I do my, my best of awards, knockout of the year, uh, fight of the year, submission of the year. So I always do my, my stun of the year and my jobber of the year, but now we're going to officially call it the Derek Minner stunt of the year award. So I look forward to doing that. But anyways, back to this. Like I said, I think it's going to be a very tactical, a very patient fight. I think that if Jan wants to say fuck it and walk in that straight line, that's where I think that Magomed Ankalev is going to be able to counter him with that check right hook. Um, I think that he's going to be able to circle on the outside. But if Jan wants to sit back, that's when I think uh, Magomed can kind of just rack up points. And if Jan, uh, in addition to that check right hook being there for Magomed. If Jan says, fuck it, I think that there's a level change that can be there for Magomed too. And I don't, I don't expect Magomed to pass his guard. I don't expect a full mount of back take, anything like that, but I also don't expect Jan to get back up. Right. So if Magomed's able to get takedowns, I expect him to, to hold top control for the duration of those rounds. So I just see, unless there's a finish, I see Magomed winning at least four of these rounds. So I played Magomed minus 250. I played him to win two units. So that's my my first bet of the night. Well, technically last because it's the main event, but first one we're breaking down. So, yeah, I got Magomed in the spot. And then in 2023, I look forward to betting Jamal Hill at underdog odds against Magomed and Khalif, you know, for the light heavyweight title. Now, Magomed might not have that flash and those exciting finishes and the, the brutal knockouts that Jamal Hill has, but, like, Again, as a betting man, none of that shit matters. Like, what matters is getting the job done. And this dude, Magomed, gets the job done. He knows exactly what he needs to do to win. And, you know, you you can't fault it, man. But if you don't have action on the fight, then I can see how you'd be like, oh, my God, more of this, right? You know? Um, but it's you just got to understand that it's not that nothing's happening there there's a whole psychological game going on with the faints with the fakes with uh you know the fear of the counter the fear of the takedown so on so forth it's the game of inches so i'm gonna go magomed ankle to become the new ufc light heavyweight champion co-main event of the evening in the lightweight division we got patty the batty pimblet he's 19 and 3 repping the uk taking on jared flash gordon who is 19 and 5 currently at DraftKings sportsbook they got it Patty the Batty minus 250. The comeback on Jared Gordon is plus 210. So, th this is a really good fight. Um, you know, I'm a fan of Patty the Batty, man. I've bet him his last few fights, but I got to say, this is a completely different fight. You know, I, I, you know, people were out here stamping their flag on Jordan Levitt. I'm just thinking to myself, like, no grown man that twerks is beating Patty Pimblett in a fight. You understand what I'm saying? And then the other guy, the Kazula Vargas, like, come on, man. Come on. So they were giving me like minus 250 or whatever against, you know, a grown man that twerks. That was an obvious play. But here against Gordon, I'm not saying that Patty's not going to win the fight. But what I am saying is that Gordon's actually like Gordon will be in the UFC this time next year. There's a big difference between the caliber of a Jared Gordon and, you know, that guy that twerks. Right. So. I kind of, you know, like I said, it was a no-brainer to bet Patty at minus 250 against, you know, that Levitt guy and, and the Kazula guy. But here against Gordon, 
You know, I, I'm good. I, I don't need to bet him here. I, I can sit back and enjoy it. But kind of what I think is going to happen, I actually think Jared Gordon is going to be winning the minutes of this fight. I think he's got better volume. Uh, word on the street from what I've heard from Bilal, uh, who's like Jared's best friend and will be in his corner, which is good. Have a winner like that in your corner that can only aid you, is that Jared Gordon's top control is like ridiculous. Like, and Bilal's a dude that, you know, has been training with the with the Dagestanis, you know, the Khabibs and this and that. And you were saying when Jared Gordon gets on top of you, it's hard to get this guy off of you. And we've seen Patty in the past succumb to takedowns, you know, give up that top control. So I actually think, and Gordon's got good volume on the feet. So I actually think Gordon may even win a round or two, you know, or at least win minutes in this fight. The thing about it is Patty is a big moment fighter. Patty could be losing the entire round, but he has that one big moment where he drops you. He's got that one big moment where he takes your back and the tide completely turns from there. And that's been an issue for a guy like Jared Gordon. He'll be dominating a fight or winning a fight at least. And, you know, against Neto BJJ, you know, dominate like four minutes and 30 seconds of the round then get dropped with a flying knee dominate four minutes and 30 seconds of a round and then give up uh you know that knee bar from the back uh, we're right back at it i forgot how to fucking pronounce that thing the solo of stretch right uh so and then and then be up two rounds on all three judges scorecards then get knocked out in the third round right so it's one of those things where i actually think jared gordon is gonna give the patty betters a sweat at first until patty finds the finish kind of so i do see patty coming out here winning this fight i just don't think it's gonna be you know like i said no grown man that twerks is beating patty pimblet in a fight jared gordon is actually a respectable opponent he's experienced he's been in there with the dogs like i respect jared gordon and i think he'll if this goes past the first round i think he'll win the first round i think he might even win the second round but when patty gets his opportunity to finish the fight the dude closes the show, and I think he's going to close the show in the co-main event. So I got Patty uh, to win this fight inside the distance after overcoming some very sketchy moments and possibly being down on the cards. Featured bout, we got an 180-pound catchweight matchup between Argentina's Santiago Genchiboa Ponzinibbio. Genchiboa means good dude. He's 28-6. and six. Taking on Alex the Great White Shark Murano, who's 22 and 7. It's really the Great White, but a lot of people aren't, aren't sure why that's his nickname. It's it's because of it's because of the shark guy. It's because of the shark, guys. It's not because not because of anything else. I mean, this guy trains at Fortis MMA, so don't get the wrong impression about him. Currently, currently, there's no line, I believe. Uh, let me check another website real quick to make sure. Yeah. There's no line on this fight yet, but I assume Santiago Ponzinibbio will be favored in this spot. So what's interesting about this is that Santiago Gentiboa Ponzinibbio, prior to his like health scare, like oh my god, prior to his health scare, it'd be a max bet against Alex Morano. I'll tell you that right now. Like the way this dude looked against Neil Magny and the way this dude looked on his massive run, what it was he on a seven fight win streak when he beat Sean Strickland, destroyed Mike Perry, beat all these guys. Like Santiago, he had a fight with Usman booked, and one of them had to pull out the fight. And, you know, unfortunately, he never got the Usman fight. And then he had, I've talked about it in the past. So I, I used to remember the details of the health scare he had, but I think it was something like a bacterial infection, and he almost died. And, 
you know, they were telling him maybe you have to drop to 55s because he lost so much weight and this and that. And then he came back and he's had four fights. He's got one and three. Hasn't looked the same. Now, some of these fights have been competitive. Don't get me wrong. The Jeff Neal fight, the Michelle Pereira fight, the uh, the uh, Baeza fight, they were all competitive. You know, got knocked out by Lee the first fight back. But it's still a massive step down from what Santiago used to be, man. Santiago, firstly, let's talk about his style. So every single fight starts off, and he's got this stalking footwork. I love his footwork. I love the way he cuts off the cage. He makes the octagon feel super small to all his opponents. He starts peppering you with that jab, starts hitting you with those outside calf kicks, and when he finds a home for that straight right, he's got one of the most beautiful straight rights in the welterweight division. Santiago, when he used to land that straight right in his prime, like, goddamn, the way, like I said, the way he chopped down Neil Magny to where he had no legs left, and then he face-planted him with that straight right, just absolutely beautiful stuff. So that's his style, and he still has that same style. He's just not the same guy he once was, unfortunately. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of a, a step slower than he used to be, which sucks because, man, like he was right there. Like, man, if he would have got that title shot against Woodley, I think he would have dethroned Woodley. The The output difference is gigantic, man. I really think he he would have been the guy to dethrone Woodley um, if he got the title shot back then. But, man, it's just unpredictable, these health scares. With Alex Morano, you got to give the guy a lot of credit, man. I mean, he's come a long way. Another one that's really paid his dues inside the octagon. You know, he's won five of his last six. He's really putting it all together. And he's a guy that's been... I mean, like he's been in the UFC now since 2016. So, you know, he, he's not a newcomer. I know he doesn't have the name that Santiago has, of course. But here's the thing about it, man. In Santiago's prime, oh my God, like this would be a ma- this would be a massive bet on Santiago. But now with the current kind of diminished form of Santiago, and I know it's easy to say, oh, but the Michelle Pereira fight was a split, the Jeff Neal fight was a split. I don't know how that Michelle Pereira fight was a split. I thought it was clear, Michelle Pereira. The Neil fight a little bit closer, but close but clear. Like a fight can be close but still be clear. I thought it was clear 29-28, Jeff. And I had a bet on Santiago, you know? So no bias here, man. I'm just calling it how it is. With Alex now in his current form, here's the thing. He didn't have a full camp. And I'm assuming it was Alex that asked for the 180-pound catchweight. So for Santiago's point of view, it's like, oh, hell yeah. You know, 10 extra pounds I don't got to cut. Perfect. Whereas with Alex, he's probably cutting to make that 180. You know, he's probably fucking 195, 200 pounds right now. You know, was the first guy to answer the call to take the fight on short notice. Um, so here's the thing about Murano. He's, it's easy to call him a technical brawler. But the, the guy does wing. The guy absolutely wings big bombs, kind of awkward, not, you know, not your conventional guy. Also does have a black belt in jujitsu, but takedown defense ain't quite there. Does have a nice guillotine. You guys know I love my guillotines. Um, my issue, and he's gotten a lot better, it's just my issue is he's there to be hit. If Santiago can tap into anything of what Santiago used to be, man, that straight right is going to be there. It's just if this turns into a back-and-forth war, I'm not saying Santiago can't win that fight, but that's kind of where Alex Morano can shine. That's kind of where – but even in Alex Morano's last fight against Matthew Semmelsberger, he's kind of giving the kid a vet lesson, kind of showing the kid like, 
hey, there, there, there's levels to this shit. You'll be here one day, just not today. And even in that fight, he still got dropped with a flying knee in the third round, right? So Alex is still prone to being hit. Even in like that Max Griffin fight where Alex was putting on a clinic, still wobbled badly in that fight. So I think if Santiago can find a home for that right hand, he might be able to put down Murano or at least wobble him, at least land, you know, have those have those bigger moments it's just if santiago's on a decline and he starts to slow down against the guy like morano starts backing up you know into the fence when morano tees off on guys sometimes it's like god damn it's like holy shit you know like the way he teed off on uh back in the day was it kyle noke he was teeing off on like some of these some of these punches and bunches man but they're like winging overhands but they're effective so you give him credit for that I think Santiago is a little bit cleaner. I got to give it to Santiago, and I'd be a, I'd be, I'd be super fucking confident uh, if, if this was before his health scare. Before his health scare, it's not even a question. It's just since then he hasn't quite been the same guy, and you just have to be honest about it. But even in his diminished state, I still think he gets it done. But you just can't act surprised if he doesn't. You can, you can't, because it's not the same Santiago. You have to take him for what he is right now, not for what he once was. So I'll pick Santiago, and I expect him to be a decent-sized favorite in this fight. Now, also on the main card, we got a matchup between Darren Till. He's 18-4-1, taking on Drickus Duplessis, who is 17-2. Currently, at DraftKings Sportsbook, they got it. Drickus Duplessis, minus 190. The comeback on Darren Till is plus 160. So very very good fight firstly man y'all gotta watch that little two fight series that Drickus Duplessis had with one of the best fighters outside the UFC named Roberto Soldich like god damn man those guys went to war twice and like they both knocked each other out on, on, on each fight you know the first fight Drickus knocked him out second fight Soldich knocked uh Drickus out but like man both fights were wars e epic high level fight outside the UFC so y'all haven't checked that out de definitely give those a watch so here's the thing about Drickus. it's easy to watch him and be like you know i've heard people say this guy sucks <laughs> you know because he's kind of awkward he's kind of it kind of looks stiff it kind of doesn't look the prettiest but god damn is this guy effective and when he touches guys on the chin I mean, the way he knocked out Roberto Soldich, the way he knocked out Marcus Maluco, the way he knocked out Trevin Giles, like, it's like these guys' lives are flashing before their eyes. It's like they're getting sent to the fifth dimension, man. It's a different kind of shadow realm when Drickus Duplessis touches you. And the thing about Drickus Duplessis, like I said, it might look kind of awkward. It might look kind of stiff, but, man, he's effective. And guys are just shocked when they get touched by this guy. Not to mention, tying up with him is not a good idea either. Like, we always talk about Drickus Duplessis, like, knockout power, how, like, the guy's got disgusting power. But, like, don't sleep on his grappling. That first fight he had against Soldich, man, he had a nice body lock. He suplexed him. He took Soldich's back for a good portion of that first round. I'm telling you right now, like, Darren Till, the thing with Darren Till is this. Darren Till kind of has that, you know, fight on the outside southpaw style where, you know, no no volume at all. 11 fights inside the octagon, barely throws over two strikes per minute, but he's kind of looking to snipe you with the straight left. And 
reminded me of the last time he sniped anyone with that straight left. Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who legend, Hall of Famer, but you know, Donald, you know, my boy Donald saw better days, you know, especially at that point in his career. So just saying, but Darren also dropped Wonder Boy. Like people can call that fight a robbery all they want, but like the reality of it is Wonder Boy, he didn't fight like he did against Holland in that fight. If he would have put it on till like he did it on Holland, like goddamn, the oh my god. And guys, don't don't disrespect Wonderboy and call that shit fight of the year with Wonderboy and Holland. That shit was not fight of the year. That shit was performance of the year. It was like fight of the fight of the night for like one round. Then after that, you know, I know people are confused because Holland talks a lot and Holland looks cool. Oh, he had a broken hand and this and that. Dude, I know plenty of guys that would have fought with, through the broken hands. That Holland got mentally broken in that fight. There's a reason he didn't answer the bell between rounds, but you know, that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying, Wonderboy fought with two broken hands against Vicente Luque. So what really happened in that Wonderboy versus, Hol uh, versus Holland fight is Wonderboy absolutely mentally broke uh, Holland. Um, so Till, he dropped Cerrone. He dropped Wonderboy. Even dropped uh, Robert Whitaker. The, the Whitaker one wasn't a straight left, though. It was uh, Whitaker tried to close the distance, and he got caught with a nice elbow off the top of my head. That's what happened. But then after that, the volume was zero again. It's like, goddamn, Till, like, can we string combinations together? And it's always been the same side shots. It's always been the left side shots, the left straight, the left kick. That's about it. Left uppercut sometimes. But Till is not reliable with volume. He's not reliable with output. It's just, you know, he can be reliable occasionally to snipe guys. But here's my thing about Till. Till was 17 and 0 when he beat Wonderboy, right? So when you're 17 and 0 and you had the kind of aura, like I don't know if you guys remember what Till was like back when he was uh undefeated. I mean, to make it to 17 and 0, what you got to understand about that is he had the kind of like McGregor like there's not a man alive that can beat me, you know? He had that whole aura of an invincibility like there's not a man alive that can beat me, like no one on planet Earth be, he was talking about how I'm a light heavyweight that fights at welterweight. I know some of y'all remember that, talking about how he's a light heavyweight that fights at welterweight. It's like, do you know what would happen if you fought at light heavyweight, Darren? But the thing about it is he's a confidence-based fighter. And we're going to talk about another confidence-based fighter named Alexander Hernandez. We'll get to that soon. But with Darren Till, this guy is a confidence-based fighter. When he was undefeated, when he was 17-0, this guy was on top of the world. No one could say shit to him. But since that point, I mean, you tell me, has he looked remotely the same since the Wonderboy fight? I mean, the Wonderboy fight was the last time. You know, fifth round drops Wonderboy, gets the decision win. Call it a robbery all you want. I don't think that was a robbery. I mean, I thought four rounds of nothing, you know, four rounds of, you know, fainting, and then one round of till dropped Wonderboy. So I actually gave that fight to Wonderboy. Two judges had it four to one, 49 46. But that Woodley fight is where it all went downhill. Because in that Woodley fight, he goes out there, and Woodley's known for having terrible output. Woodley's known for being the guy that backs himself into the fence, doesn't throw anything, occasionally times a big overhand, right? Besides that, doesn't do shit. And Darren Till goes out there and, <laughs> and lands zero strikes against Tyron Woodley. And he has never been the same since then. Gets brutally knocked out his very next fight against Jorge Masvidal. And actually, speaking of the knockdowns, let's add another one to the list. He knocked down Jorge Masvidal in the first 10 seconds of uh, 
of that fight. But then after that, I mean, that Kelvin Gastelum fight, speaking of guys that have never been the same, we can we agree Kelvin has not been the same since the Izzy fight? Like, for whatever reason, that Izzy fight took everything out of Kelvin Gastelum. So that Darren Till fight, yeah, let's give him the win, whatever. I got no issue with him getting his arm raised there. But, you know, no no one won that fight. The fans lost that fight, man. I mean, that was that was an awful fight. And just going back to it, when I talk about this output, let me ask you all something. Just off the top of y'all's heads, what do you think the most amount of strikes Darren Till has ever landed in a UFC fight? Darren Till has never landed 50 strikes in a single UFC fight. So no one can sit here and tell me that his output is on point. His output, his output is absolutely trash. But that doesn't mean that he can't snipe Drickus because Drickus is there to be hit. It's just that you can't always bank on first-round knockouts. And I'm telling you right now, if, if Darren Till does not badly compromised Drickus Duplessis. Someone guessed 75. Yeah, right, dude. The most he's ever landed in a fight, MMA Gurley, was 49 strikes against uh, Boyan Velichkovich. Just, just to put this in perspective, all right? Let, let's, let me pull up Darren Till again. In his fight against Robert Whitaker, which went all five rounds, he only landed 41 significant strikes. That output is just too low to consistently win fights at the highest level. Drickus Duplessis has only had three UFC fights. In his last fight against Brad Tavares, he landed more than in any of 11 of Darren Till's UFC fights. And honestly, like, <laughs> close to most of all of Darren Till's fights combined, you know, that's an exaggeration, but you guys get my point. Plessis fucking landed 113 strikes, not to mention he threw... 222 strikes like that's just a ball game difference of output between the two so till's win condition is reliant on you have to have such a big moment where you drop this guy steal the round like that you knock this guy out because what is still going to come out here and take him down like don't give me no oh he's been trading with hamza chimaev i don't yeah he's been getting mauled by hamza chimaev like you think him training with hamza chimaev means this guy knows how to how to wrestle now you saw his last fight against Derek brunson that shit was embarrassing man like that shit was for a guy that's been in the ufc as long as he has and fought for a title that was embarrassing you're hurting brunson and then you just give up your back and you know it's time to go home and guess who's a guy i was talking about it that first fight with roberto soldage and drickus duplessis drickus duplessis after getting rocked in that first round he ends up getting a nice body lock he suplexes soldage then he takes his back and he hangs on in that position for the for the remainder of the first round he gets darren till there he might choke darren till out so don't write off uh, a drickus duplessis submission the thing is it's back to the output for me, man. I mean, the output is just such night and day that unless Drickus is just so badly compromised, Drickus is going to outdog this guy. Drickus is going to out-hustle this guy. And Drickus is going to come out here and break this guy. So I got Drickus Duplessis. I agree with the line movement. I mean, again, could Darren Till possibly snipe him? Yes, he's landed knockdowns throughout his UFC career. There is that chance. And Drickus is there to be hit. So you cannot discount that possibility. But I'm telling you right now, if that does not happen, Drickus is going to take this young man to deep waters and drown him. So I got Drickus Duplessis. 
to look awkward out there, to look stiff, to look rigid. But when he hits Till on the chin, Till's going to be like, God, like, like in rush hour, like, which one of y'all kicked me with that? You know what I'm saying, man? Um, and then also don't discount the possibility if Drickus feels like, man, you know, maybe Till's time is on tonight. Till's feeling sharp tonight. Don't discount the possibility of Drickus going out there and getting this to the mat, taking his back and choking him out. So I think Drickus Duplessis, <coughs> excuse me. I think Drickus Duplessis comes out here and wins this fight. Now, and, and shout out to y'all that went out there and steamed this at Pick'em, man. Like, goddamn, like, it was, like, minus, like, what, 135 the other day? And, you know, I blinked my eyes twice, and then it's, like, minus 190. I was like, damn, I didn't even get a chance to look into it like that. Now, kicking off the main card in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between two undefeated fighters. We got Bryce Mitchell. He's 15-0, taking on Ilya Teporia, who was 12-0. And currently at DraftKings Sportsbook, they got it. Ilya Teporia, minus 135. The comeback on Bryce Mitchell is plus 115. So I'm very familiar with both guys. I've had success betting both of them, undefeated betting both of them. So I bet Teporia against Yusuf Zalal in his debut at like plus 160, which is amazing. And then I bet him against Damon Jackson at minus 200. And then Bryce, I bet Bryce's last fight against uh Edson at minus 150 so all clean caches i was very very happy about that so interestingly enough when this fight was announced and i saw the odds at first i was like oh my god like i'm gonna get dog odds on bryce mitchell you know the poor hasn't truly been tested this and that but when i watch the tape man and listen the tape is not the be all end all sometimes the tape will talk you off of good plays Sometimes, like, sometimes the tape is wrong. But when I watched the tape, I was really fucking impressed with Taporia all over again, man. Like, he's got this fast twitch. He's a, a super good athlete. Nasty hands. Rips to the body. Goes upstairs. And then we forget about his Greco-Roman background. I mean, the guy can stuff takedowns. The guy can take you down. He's got a nasty Darson Anaconda series, a good guillotine. And he's got really good heart, too. Let's not talk about the Jay Herbert fight yet. Let's talk about his first fight um, before his UFC debut. Gets dropped with a head kick, which we'll see in his last UFC fight. We'll talk about that in a sec. Gets dropped by a head kick, gets back up, knocks the dude out. I'm like, okay, all right. This guy's got heart and balls, not just technique. You know, Yusuf Zalal fight, was there a sketchy moment or two? Yeah. Can we say he took the fight on a week notice and had the flu? Yeah. I don't know. That, but the, the fact is, that's like the only time we've seen him in the third round. So, you know, I'd hate for Bryce to be grinding on him, uh, it, you know, at those moments, you know, if I were to bet Bryce. So take it for what it's worth. You know, some will put stock into it being short notice. Some will say that he might have potential to gas. I, I think a little bit more. I think we need to see a little bit more from him. But anyways, there was that. There was the dismantling of Damon Jackson. That was nice. The Ryan Hall fight played that perfectly. Like, played that beautifully. Like, just waited. Chill, chill, chill. Kill, kill, kill. Just like my boy Cheeto Vera. And then the last fight. Let's talk about the Jay Herbert fight. So, people keep talking about, well, he got dropped against Jay Herbert. Facts. Can't debate that. Is Bryce Mitchell a six foot one kickboxer? No, he is not. So, while... Won't get a debate out of me. Yeah, he got floored by Jay Herbert, but like 
again, Bryce is not a six foot one kickboxer. So I don't really think that's indicative of what's going to happen in this fight. And then after he got dropped, the dude goes out there, picks him up and slams him, and then brutally knocks him out in the second round. So Taporia, you can overcome adversity. The thing I love about this kid, Bryce, you guys already know what I love about Bryce. I love these guys that can attempt takedown after takedown after takedown, man. Uh, like this guy does not get discouraged. He's relentless. Um, I love how he chains his takedowns together. I love his top control. I love his creativity when he's grappling. We'll go for unorthodox submissions like twisters. So you love to see it. I'm a big fan. Um, I just think that even though he's had some good moments on the feet and, you know, he's got some nice sidekicks out there and, you know, he does throw those sidekicks, like I said. And then the Edson fight, Edson was so worried about the takedown that Edson dropped his hands and Bryce Mitchell planted a nice straight right on the kisser and dropped him. So that was pretty cool. The thing is, I don't think Taporia is going to be freaking out about any specific area. And I think the athleticism difference is just massive here. I think one guy is a real fast twitch athlete, whereas Bryce is more like a, you know, he's country strong. He's a country boy, you know? Um, so I think Bryce is definitely deceptively strong. So the, the way I see it going for both guys is like if Taporia is going to win this fight, I see it kind of being sprawl and brawl. You sprawl and then you make this guy pay, you know, for those takedown attempts, rip the body shots, go upstairs and make him discouraged to shoot. And for Bryce to win this fight, you know, maybe the first couple takedowns get stuffed, but, you know, you keep pushing that pedal to the metal. You keep going over to the well back and forth and back and forth. And then eventually you might be able to get this guy down. Maybe he starts to fatigue a little bit. Then you start to get some top control and then slowly drain the fight away from him. So that's kind of the path to victories I see for both guys. But actually, I'm going to go with Ilya Taporia to hand Bryce Mitchell his first uh, official defeat. I know he lost on the Ultimate Fighter, but that was an exhibition match. I'm going to go with Taporia to, to hand him his first defeat. And there will come a time to fade Taporia. Maybe it's this weekend. Maybe I'm off. Maybe my initial gut uh, read was correct and maybe the tape is wrong but when i watched the tape man i don't know man that's a poor guy scared me man <laughs> like serious athlete ser serious power and his grappling is no joke either man so i just think he's a little bit more well, well a little bit more well-rounded a little bit more athletic i'm, I'm gonna go with Ilya Tapori here to win this fight now, before I talk about this heavyweight fight between Jerzinho Rosenstruck and Chris Dawkins, I want to give a huge shout-out to today's sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. So, guys, another uh, – excuse me. Don't, don't let DraftKings Sportsbook hear that. One sec. So, guys, another night of epic fights is here. Yeah, I'm talking about UFC 282. I'll be throwing down on this one with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. This Saturday, new customers can bet just $5 pre-fight money line on any fighter to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to 50% boost when you place a same-game parlay on UFC 282. So same-game parlay, what I mean by that is you like Jan Blachowicz and you like him to win via Polish power, 
parlay Jan and Jan by KO. They let you do that in DraftKings. Or, for example, you like Bryce Mitchell, you think he's going to get a twister, you can bet Bryce and you can get uh, Bryce by submission in the same parlay. Just do whatever combination you feel, you know, wh whatever you see fit, right? Because everybody's got different opinions on this. Or you think Magomed and Klee is going to win a boring decision? Go Magomed and Magomed by decision or Magomed in the over, right? So that's the same game parlay as that DraftKings lets you do now. So, guys, download the app now. Use promo code Levy, which is my last name. Not like Natan Levy. It's spelled like Levi Jeans, L-E-V-I. Bet $5 pre-fight money line on any fighter to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code Levy this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So DraftKings, thank you all so much for sponsoring today's episode of Half the Battle. Everybody do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button if you're not already subscribed. And let's talk about this featured prelim in the heavyweight division between Jerzinho, Rose, and Strukis, 12 and 4, taking on Officer Chris Dawkins, who is 12 and 5. And currently, they got it. Jerzinho, Rose, and Struk, minus 170. The comeback on Chris Dawkins is plus 145. So, man. Uh, are we ready to stomach uh, two Dawkins brothers getting knocked out on back-to-back -back weeks? So here's the thing about Jerzino Rosenstruck, another guy with historically very, very low output. But when you talk about does he have moments, boy, does he have moments. I mean, all his wins in the UFC are by knockout. I mean, knocked out Augusto Sakai in the first round. Knocked out Junior Dos Santos in the second round. Lost pretty almost the entire fight against Overeem and then knocks him out in the fifth round. I know he won one round in there. Uh, knocks out Andre Arlovsky in 30 seconds. Knocks out Crowder in nine seconds, you know, and knocks out Junior Albini in the second round. So, like, this guy's got a hell of a lot of knockdowns. And when I talk about low output, you know that this guy, Rosenstruck, in his highest output fight is still more than Darren Till. <laughs> in his highest output fight against uh, Overeem, he still landed 89 significant strikes. The most Darren Till's ever landed in a UFC fight is 49. Like, that is really bad, Darren. Now, here's the thing about Chris Dacus. Like, since he's naturally a 205er, one of the advantages of being the smaller man is he's got these fast hands, man. <laughs> My MMA locker room said Levy versus Kanye. Dude, Kanye don't want that smoke. I'm telling you all that right now. But anyways, uh, Should I let him beat me up so I can sue him for all his net worth? <laughs> but uh, so Chris Dawkins has pretty damn fast hands uh, for heavyweight standards just because this guy's a former two or fiver. And at first, guys were like, holy shit, like these punches and bunches, these blitzes. But as soon as he got up to the upper echelon of the division, he started getting exposed, man. And the thing with Jerzino Rosenstruck doesn't have the most output, but like he'll kind of, you know, play at his range outside leg kick inside leg kick just kind of chop you apart with leg kicks and when you decide that okay fuck it i've had enough it's time to make this guy fight that's where he's got some nasty counters where he goes upstairs and he can put you down and i think that's pretty much what's going to happen here man i think that chris Dawkins, i mean his confidence has got to be at an all-time low man because people were talking about this guy like he was one of the top prospects in the heavyweight division you know knocked out shamil 
knocked out Ole Nick, was doing all these things, got that Black Beast main event, got sent to the Shadow Realm, fights Curtis Blades. And, like, Curtis Blades is known for going out there and setting takedown records on guys. Curtis Blades felt so unthreatened by Chris Dawkins that he didn't even attempt a single takedown. Curtis Blades was out there like, y'all think I'm just a wrestler? I'm going to knock this guy out. And he went out there, and boy, did he knock out Chris Dawkins. You know what I'm saying? And now... Similar to his brother, Kyle, you know, he's coming back uh, not too soon. You know, the last one was in March, but like the two knockouts he took were December and March. That was like way too soon, you know, and now coming back at the end of the year. I mean, it's not like he's getting some tune up fight, man. He's getting one of the top 10 guys in the division, one of the legit top 10 guys in the division, one of the serious knockout artists in the division. Yeah, Jerzino, again, output isn't the best, but counterability is up there. I think he's going to leg kick Chris Dawkins, and when Chris Dawkins decides to say fuck it and attack with those fast hands with that blitz, I think Jerzino's going to time something and face plant this guy. So my pick is Jerzino Rosenstruck to come out here, get back on track, and you know, hand another Dawkins another knockout loss for a second week in a row. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, I know y'all are excited about this one. We got Jay Perrin. He's 10-6, and six, taking on Raul Rosas Jr., who is 6-0. Currently, they got it. Raul Rosas, minus 240. The comeback on Jay Perrin is plus 200. So, I know people can't wait to fade this Raul Rosas guy. Oh, my God, he's 18 years old. He's this, he's that. But, like, listen. There's a reason Jay Perrin got this fight. So initially UFC was like, hey, Cameron Else, <laughs> uh, do you want the Raul Rosas fight? And Cameron Else was like, nah, I'm good. So they're like, all right, you're gone. You know? So then they were like, all right, who's the next worst guy on the roster? How about Jay Perrin? How about we give Jay Perrin a call? And it was the same thing. Jay Perrin, you want this Raul Rosas fight? And if you would have said no, it would have been like, all right, you're gone. But since he said yes, okay, cool. Take this fight, and then after you lose, then we'll cut you, you know? So it's a brutal game, and that's just basically what's going to happen here. Listen, I mean, Perrin isn't bad. It's just Perrin is super underwhelming. They're like, there's nothing special about Jay Perrin. Like, he's just kind of average everywhere, including athleticism, just average striker, average grappler, average athlete, really shitty attitude. I mean, you hear the guy talk, and... You know, he talks just like anybody that's bring, that's being brought in to lose to, a, you know, an emerging prospect talks, you know, completely downplays them, completely disrespects their game. And he's going to pay as a result, man. I mean, does he have a chance to fight, you know, tough at times and maybe win a round? Okay, sure. But is he going to? But the thing is, he's one of these guys like it's like a the Jared Vandera of the Bantamweight division. Like for some reason, people love betting on these guys that yeah, they might have a moment or two. They might fight tough, but ultimately they do not win fights at the UFC level. Perrin's one of those guys. And I don't see why this would be any different. I mean, the thing with Raul Rosa is, will there be a time to fade him? A hundred percent, guys. I'm not sitting here calling this guy the second coming. I'm not sitting here saying future top 15, future. I'm not saying any of that shit. Like y'all, y'all didn't hear me say nothing like that. I'm just saying he's going to beat Jay Perrin. That, that's all I said, you know? So to me, I think Raul Rosa is super long for a Bantamweight, really awkward. 
especially with his grappling ability. He's good at taking the back, good at scrambling. He's got an immense amount of confidence. He's got a really good chin, <laughs> no pun intended. I know y'all seen the pictures. Um, I think he's going to come out here. I think he's got something for Jay Perrin. So, you know, this is probably Jay Perrin's last fight inside the octagon. Not crazy about the price, obviously. Not trying to lay minus 240, but it comes down minus 200. I might, I might, uh, I might get in there because, like I said, the UFC matchmakers, like, they looked at the roster. They were like, who are the worst? Who's the worst guy on the roster? Well, like I said, they offered it to Cameron else. He declined the fight. All right, you're gone. Well, who's the second worst guy? Oh, Jay Perrin. <laughs> let, 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 let's, let's see. We know he'll take the fight, so we appreciate you stepping up and taking the fight. You know, here's your chance to make another 10K plus Venom. And then after that, uh, you know, we'd love to have him in the NFC, feed him to some of our prospects. So I'm going to go uh, Raul Rosas uh, to win this fight. I, I'm going to say he chokes this guy out, too. Now, give me a second. y'all. I got to blow my nose. I'm still dealing with that uh, holiday flu. But after that, I'm going to talk about the next fight. So one second, y'all. All right, y'all. I am back. I am back. So everybody smash the like button, hit the subscribe button, because next up in the middleweight division, we got the returning Edmund Shabazian, the golden boy. He's 11 and three taking on Dacha Lunjambula, Dacha champion Lunjambula, who was 11 and five. And currently they got it. Edmund Shabazian minus 280. The comeback on Dacha Lunjambula is Dacha Lunjambula is plus 235 so edmund man holy shit so he's one of these guys that like was talking about how he's going to be the youngest champion in ufc history he was one of these guys that was literally running through everybody in the first round on his regional scene in the ufc but as soon as anybody fought back the guy completely fell apart like that's just how it went man so People can say all this stuff about, oh, now he's not training with Edmund Tarverdian anymore. Therefore, you know, he's going to be a new fighter. I mean, it ain't even like that, man. It's like you can't teach heart. You can't teach, you know, getting rid of this bully mentality, which is what this kid has. Because let's go back to Edmund Shabazian's regional scene. You know, let's just let's 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 do the whole history debriefing of Edmund Shabazian. So. Wow, Tapology is really pissing me off. Like, I click this guy's name, and it takes me to some fucking other site. Like, y'all got to do something about these ads, Tapology, man. So once I successfully access Edmund Shabazian's site, I'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, so check this out. So Edmund Shabazian's entire run outside the UFC. The only guy he fought with a winning record was 3-2. and two. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every single fight was a first-round finish. Then he goes on to Contender Series, gets a 40-second finish. And then his first real fight, the first time he ever goes past the first round, is against Darren Stewart, who's no longer with the company. And, man, Edmund was on, like, death's doorstep against Darren Stewart in that third round. He pulled an epic stunt against Darren Stewart in that third round. That was like, damn. But we all kind of wrote it off. We were like, hey, it's his first time going past the first round. He's just a kid. He'll learn from this. He'll be back better. And then his next few fights went back to the first round finishes. Charles Bird, first round finish. Jack Marshman, first round finish. Now, Brad Tavares, here's where things get interesting. Brad Tavares is a legit guy. 
and Edmund got him out of there in under two minutes and a half, right? So on one hand, you cannot debate that Edmund is a potent first-round finisher. Yes, he is. He's If he can get you out of there in the first round, hey, you know, he's going to look pretty fucking good. But the, th- the issue was when you beat someone on the caliber of Brad Tavares, it's only going to be big fights from there on out. So immediately after that, he's fighting the Derek Brunsons. He's fighting the Jack Hermansons. He's fighting the Nasserdina Mavovs. And it's like the kid just simply wasn't ready for that level of competition. And all those guys took him past the first round. And guess what happened? He broke. So literally every single time that Edmund's been past the first round, he's been broken. And the only time he's won that's been past the first round was the Darren Stewart fight. And that fight got so sketchy in that third round. So... Here with Dacha Lunjambula, the the issue with my boy Dacha, man, is that, you know, shit gets sketchy when he goes past the first round for the most part. But the thing is, he's won multiple fights that have gone past the first round. He's won fights in round four of fights. He's won decisions. Um, Yeah, so he's won decisions inside the octagons. He's gotten third round knockouts inside the octagons. Had competitive decisions with Marc-Andre Barrio. So... My only issue with Dolce is that he's kind of getting up there in age. And uh, hold on a second. How, how tall is my boy Dolce? He's, he's kind of smaller for, for middleweight, right? Yeah, my boy's 5'8". <laughs> he's the same height as me. He's 5'8", but he's fighting at, at 185, which I walk at 185, but this guy probably walks at 210. You, you understand what I'm saying? So, But he's so muscular, and he's got that African power. So if he touches Edmund on the chin, don't be surprised if Edmund gets knocked out. But on the flip side, my boy Dacha is getting up there in age, you know, um, just turned 35, which isn't that old. But I'm just saying, you know, coming off a knockout loss, Edmund's a potent first round finisher. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of those fights where Edmund's able to get his first round finish, go on his way. But I am not convinced one bit that if this turns into a real fight, if Dacha's able to survive these early moments and make this kid actually fight, that the same thing is going to happen again, man. Like, this is not something you fix in the gym. Like, this is a mindset thing. This is this is about that bully mentality. Like, you know, when Edmund is the hammer, like, goddamn, he looks amazing. But when you give him any kind of resistance, he breaks 100% of the time. I mean, literally 100% of the time. Every single time Edmund's been past the first round, it's been sketchy. So, I mean, I, I see why Edmund's favored because he's such a potent first-round finisher. He might be catching Dolce at the right time, but there's no way in hell I'm laying this price on Edmund. I do not trust the kid. Um, and yeah, and, and he's a fraud past the first round. That's just the bottom line. So I'm gonna go with Edmund because if I went with Dolce, then I'd be forced to bet Dolce at a price like this. But I don't know. It, it'd be interesting. I mean, Dolce, well, he was touching up Puna that first round, wasn't he? So. It's just Dolce's another one. He goes balls to the wall, man. And sometimes he doesn't have much left in the later rounds. Um, it's just I've never seen him actually truly break like Edmund breaks in all these fights that go past round one. Um, so this is probably a spot where Edmund can get his first round finish. But, you know, this whole, oh, he's a new man now because he's in Vegas. Bullshit. Bullshit. What fucking proof do you have of that, dude? So don't don't even try me on some bullshit like that. I'm going to go Edmund and get his first round finish. But if you lay a price like this on Edmund and he does not get his first round finish and he quits in the second or third round, you got no one to blame but yourself. 
Now, also in the middleweight division, we got Edmonds' training partner, new training partner, Chris Curtis. He's 29 and 9, the action man, taking on Joaquin Numansa Buckley, who's 15 and 5. Currently, they got it. Joaquin Buckley minus 155. The comeback on Chris Curtis is plus 135. So, you know, a lot of y'all are a lot higher on Chris Curtis than I am. And I've always kind of been low on Chris Curtis, but I do have to admit, his hands in the pocket are very clean and his takedown defense has gotten a lot better, uh, like infinitely better than what it used to be, man. I mean, like, but some of y'all have only been exposed to Chris Curtis in the UFC. So y'all don't like know the history. I'm not talking down on people. I'm just saying my opinion, you know, some people's first exposure to him was like the Phil Haas and the Brendan Allen fight. Like, so they didn't see the PFL history. They didn't see his regional fight with Bilal. Like, so my issue with Chris Curtis has always been I've always thought his attitude was extremely shitty. And I think though I think your attitude translates to, to your fighting, man. I mean, people's first glimpse of this shitty attitude I'm talking about was the way he acted after the Hermanson fight. Guys, this is not a one-off. This is nothing new. Like, go watch his fight with Bilal. Bilal wrestled, and what you think Bilal is a dumbass is gonna stand in the pocket with Chris and give him his only chance to win? So Bilal goes out there and easily 30-27 is the guy. And then afterwards, Buck, uh, Chris Curtis is trying to fight Bilal after the fight and throwing his mouthpiece, just putting on a hissy fit. So this guy's had a bad attitude 10 years ago, and he's got a bad attitude now, man. And the Jack Hermanson fight, Jack stood with him all three rounds. It's just Jack stayed on the outside, used a lot of movement. And, I mean, you know what the strike count was in that fight? Speaking of output, you know how I love to talk about output because I think that's one of the most important things in combat sports, especially when you're talking about from a betting perspective, Jack outstrikes him 100 to 43. 100 to 43, no takedowns landed, and you're going to cry about that. So I just don't like this guy's attitude. I think he's super petty. The issue here is that with Buckley, like, there's a way that Buckley can win this fight, and there's a way that Buckley can lose this fight. If Buckley decides to go toe-to-toe in the pocket with Chris Curtis, I'm not sitting here saying that Buckley can't have success there because Buckley... He does hit very hard. He does swing big bombs. And I've seen Curtis get knocked the fuck out before. I know some of y'all remember that Ray Cooper fight in PFL. Um, but Buckley's also been knocked out his fair share of times. So, like, Buckley, it'd be in his best interest to not have a a flat-footed brawl in the center of the octagon with, with, with Chris Curtis. What I think Buckley needs to do is use a lot of movement, use a lot of kicks, circle on the outside, you know, punches and bunches, follow them up with big kicks. Just put your combination together, keep circling, keep circling. Um, faint the takedowns, you know, make sure that that threat of the takedown is there, even if you can't get it. Because the thing about Curtis, so I'm convinced his takedown defense has gotten infinitely better, but what I'm not convinced about, because he hasn't been taken out on the UFC yet, I'm not convinced his game on bottom has gotten better. Because back in the day, Dudes used to be able to take down Chris Curtis, and when he got taken down, he wouldn't get back up. Now, the guys he's fought in the UFC, granted, like, I, I got to give them all credit. I mean, Phil Haas is a good grappler. Brendan Allen's a good grappler. Rodolfo Vieira is a good grappler. So none of these guys were able to take him down. So that's credit to Chris Curtis. His takedown defense has gotten infinitely better. Joaquin's a very explosive guy, and while he might not have the grappling credentials that those guys have, he might be able to kind of mix all areas of his game together better, and he's a more explosive guy. So if he can kind of, you know, mix in his, you know, mix in his combinations, some big punches, follow it up with some head kicks, get Chris thinking about the kicks, and then time a level change, time and entry, he might be able to take down Chris Curtis. And if he does, 
Chris Curtis struggles getting back up to his feet once he's finally on his back. It's just getting him to his back, which is the fucking struggle. But I think all in all, Buckley's got more ways to win. It's like, can Chris Curtis come out here and wrestle like offensively? I don't think so. Can Chris Curtis can Chris Curtis submit Buckley? I don't think so. Can Chris Curtis come out here and you know have a kicking you know contest with him? I don't think so. I think Curtis's only way to win is in the pocket. You know draw a line in the sand who's the better boxer here then you give curtis an edge there but besides that if buckley's smart which i've heard him talk and if you read between the lines i actually do think the kid's a little intelligent um and he's maturing i like that he's maturing just maybe a little undersized for the weight class but luckily for him curtis is a former welterweight too so i think as long as buckley uses a lot of movement uses a lot of kicks and doesn't stay stationary if he stays stationary that's where he's going to have issues with curtis but as long as he's moving the entire time i think he can have some success here and then he can possibly catch curtis i think possibly take him down or pick him apart for two of the three rounds so i'm gonna go with uh walking buckley to come out here and defeat chris curtis oh man it just keeps getting better keeps getting better before i talk about billy q versus alex not so great y'all do me a big favor and smash that like button hit the subscribe button so next up in the featherweight division we got a match between billy q billy quarantine uh it's not quarantillo it's quarantillo billy quarantillo he's 16 and 4 taking on alex hernandez who was 13 and 5 and there's only one alex the great in the ufc and that's alexander volkanovsky so uh I hereby request <laughs> that Hernandez changes his uh, nickname because, come on, dude. Now, currently, they got it. Billy Q, minus 160. The comeback on Alex Hernandez is plus 140. Alex Hernandez, similar to Edmund Shabazi, and another guy, he's hell on wheels early. He's explosive. He's dynamic. He's the kind of guy that, I mean, he kind of redlines a little bit, even more than Edmund Shabazi. And like this guy goes balls to the wall in the early going. And if you're not quite on his level, man, he can knock a lot of people out, especially on the lower tier. And he's had some big wins. Like just on paper, he beat Benil Darius. He beat Trinaldo. He beat OAM. Like on paper, like, damn, those are some good wins. But you got to put context into all three of those wins. And I hate discrediting people's wins. But, like, I truly believe that Alex Hernandez's knockout win over Benil Dariush is one of the biggest flukes in the history of the sport. And if they literally ran it 10 times, Benil beats him 9 out of 10 times. And that was the one time that Hernandez wins. He got a fluke shot off. The OAM fight. Now, if they fought today, I think OAM would mop the floor with him. But back then, it was in reach for OAM. OAM's on top of him. OAM drops back for a leg lock, gives up top position. I was like, oh, my God, Olivier. And then the Trinado fight, like, Jesus Christ, what a robbery that was. I mean, the Texas Texas judges were doing their thing, giving it to the Texas boy. Like, that was terrible. That was fucking terrible. And uh, you see what happens anytime Alex Hernandez goes past the first round. Every time he goes past the first round, shit gets sketchy, man. Whether... Let's just let's just go back to the beginning. First time he went past the first round of the UFC against OAM, shit got sketchy. He gasped bad, but OAM decided to drop to his back for a leg lock instead of staying on top. Cost himself the fight. The Donald Cerrone fight. Do y'all remember when uh <laughs> when Hernandez had his little pocket thesaurus and was using all those big words against the legend Cerrone? That went past the first round. Cerrone had to make him pay. The Trinado fight went past the first round. 
one of the worst decisions in the history of the sport. The Drew Dober fight went past the first round, got knocked the fuck out, right? Or standing TKO. He wanted no mas. Tiago Moises fight went past the first round. The kids out here crying robbery. Hanata Moicano fight went past the first round and gets finished in the second. So anytime that Alex Hernandez has been past the first round in the UFC, shit has gotten sketchy. Now with Billy Q, there's some really good things and there's some really bad things. Now, before I talk about this, let me just keep making this point since this has been a consistent theme on today's show. So I had y'all guess what the most amount of strikes that Darren Till had ever landed in a UFC fight was, and that was 49. Now I want y'all to tell me, uh, what's the most amount of strikes that Alex Hernandez has ever landed in, in, in a UFC fight? Why don't y'all let me know? Take a quick guess. So the most amount of significant strikes that Alex Hernandez has ever landed in a UFC fight was 50 against Tiago Moises. Okay? 50. Like that, that's that's very low. That means that this guy's reliant on big moments. This guy's reliant on knockdowns, which he's gotten knockdowns, especially if you're the Mike Breedens of the world of the world, if you're the Chris Gritzmachers, he can knock all those guys out. Someone don't don't say Benil Dariushi. Nine times out of ten, Benny wins that fucking fight. That was a goddamn fluke. You know it. I know it. Look at where they're at in their respective careers. I mean, the the fact of the matter is they're not gonna run it back because look who's about to look who's you know, one step from fighting for a belt and look who's one step from, you know, fighting for the NFC. So that's just, that's all the proof you need that that fight was a fluke. Now, here's the thing with Billy Q. Here's what we love about Billy Q. You want to talk about output? Let's talk about output. How about this? Goes out there against Gabriel Benitez, right? Attempts 259 strikes. Lands 179 of them, but attempts 259 strikes. That that's effort. That that those are the kind of things I need, especially if you're not getting knocked out and if we're extending this into deep waters. All right, Shane Burgos fight. How many strikes do you think Billy attempted the Shane Burgos fight? More than Alex has in his entire career combined. Okay. This dude, Billy Q, goes out there with Shane Burgos, stands in the center of the octagon for three straight rounds. He attempts 383 strikes, and he lands 196 of them. <laughs> I'm just telling you all right now. Look, Billy Q, you know, his striking defense ain't the best, man. He has 40% striking defense, so... Alex can crack early. Alex red lines early. Alex is hell on wheels early. So Alex can possibly crack him. Maybe Alex is the not the first guy because Michelle Canona has knocked him out on the regional scene. But maybe Alex is the first guy to knock out Billy Q inside the octagon, right? And then the other issue is the takedown defense. Alex can land takedown. So maybe Alex is able to take him down, get some top control. But those are the only two paths, right? If 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 Billy Q can take what Alex brings, Billy Q is going to dish it out in a way where I don't think Alex can take it. If you can get me to that deep second, get me into that third round, you know, get this into the get this into the, the depths of the ocean and see if this kid brought his floaties. I mean, to the depths of the sea we go, man. I do not think this kid can swim. Now, do I think that Alex can get an early knockout? Yes. Do I think Alex maybe get some top control? You know, some explosive takedowns, tag Billy Q up a little bit here and there. Yes, I, I, I do think so. But 
if this is if Billy can make this a Billy Q war and just drag this, you know, take this kid to the deepest part of the ocean and see if he can swim, man. Like that's what I need to see here. And if it's that kind of fight, then I got Billy Q all day. Now, Marcus said this is Billy Q's first fight in a year, which I think is a great thing. I mean, you saw that fucking war he had with uh, Shane Burgos. Like, he took the proper amount of time off. Now, he had, like, a little injury. That's why he had to pull out of the Billy uh, the Bill Algeo fight. But so what? I mean, he healed up his injury. So I think he did the right thing. I think he took the right amount of time off. He's got to be, you know, cleared, focused, you know, and, and recharged. So I'm... I haven't bet it yet, but I'm considering a bet here just because of the output difference. I'm just, you guys know what I'm worried about. I'm worried about Alex having his little front running early finish, you know? But man, Billy, if we can just turn this into that war and, you know, try to see, make, make it a matter of who's got the bigger heart and really test this kid, see, test his will, test his resolve, see if this kid really wants to be in there, you know, fuck the early going, you know, the early going is like makeup, right, like, but once you remove the makeup, that's when you really see who the person is, man, and I'm telling y'all right now, if this is a battle of wills, if this is a battle of hearts, I got Billy Q in that, I just need him to make it a battle of hearts, you know, Benil was able to make it a battle of hearts, Benil got touched early, right, so I need Billy Q, like, we're not completely discounting Alex because we know he's dangerous early, but if Billy can drag this to those deep waters, I got Billy Q in that type of fight over Alex Hernandez all day. So I'm going to pick Billy Quarantillo to come out here, get back on track and uh, drown the young man. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Eric Silva. You not, not, not the Eric Silva that fought Matt Brown. Interestingly, this is Silva versus Brown, but Different, different Eric Silva. This is Venezuela's Eric Silva. He's nine and one, taking on downtown TJ Brown, who is sixteen and nine. Currently, they got it. Eric Silva minus one ten. TJ Brown minus one ten. Interesting fight. Um, so you got Eric Silva on one hand, who I don't want to call him a can crusher because. So, like, he has only crushed cans, but, like, that doesn't mean that when he fights someone good that he can't crush them. Like, we just don't know yet, right? Like, but with TJ, we know. We know the deal with TJ, man. Like, and interestingly enough, TJ, like, isn't bad. It's just TJ, he ain't the brightest, you know? Dude gets dropped, like, every fucking fight. Um, We'll, like, be dominating fights, and then we'll be tapped out with shit that, like, guillotines from side control like come on man we'll be chopped down with leg kicks from that uh what was the name of the colombian dude from uh mma masters that chopped him down with calf kicks danny chavez like just some random dude i don't think he ever won a ufc fight ever again so like yeah tj brown because it's sad because like he's actually got some wrestling chops like he actually isn't bad at all it's just he ain't the brightest you know, like the guy just <laughs> the guy, you know, he'll he'll be winning a fight, then he'll get dropped, lose that round. He'll be winning a fight, get tapped out with a submission that I mean, if you're getting tapped out with guillotines from side control, man, like as Andy said, TJ is a C tier, Bryce Mitchell. Well <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, this dude, TJ, man. I do not trust him with my money. I wish I knew more about Eric Silva because then I'd be a little bit more confident. But 
I like what I've seen. I like the size. I like the ground and pound. He gets vicious in there. Big elbows can cut you up. Can take the back. Big kicks on the feet. So like I like what I've seen from Eric Silva. It's just he hasn't fought anybody. You know, barely he's been past the first. Has he even? Has the dude ever been past the first round? Um, my boy Eric Silva. He's he has been past the first round. So he's won some decisions actually back in the day against an O and O guy and you know some other. You know, but anyways, uh, we just got to see what Eric looks like against real competition, even though that probably doesn't matter here. Um, give me a second. y'all. I got to fucking blow my nose that that seasonal flu. All right. Moy said TJ is the Filipino Michael Johnson. Is, is it, You mean the Arkansas Michael Johnson? And firstly, don't disrespect Michael. Michael's got wins over Dustin Poirier, Tony Ferguson, Edson Barboza, Mark Jacasey. Like, you know, TJ Brown wouldn't be caught dead beating guys like that. You know what I'm saying? So, listen, I think TJ Brown's going to do good, and then he's going to get dropped and choked out. So I'm going to go with Eric Silva to win this fight. Now, this one I'm very, very, very excited about. I'm in the flyweight division. We got Daniel Lacerda da Silva. He's 11-4, and four, taking on Vinicius Salvador, who is 14-4. and four. And currently, they got it. Vinicius Salvador, minus 205. The comeback on Daniel Da Silva is plus 175. So, man, this Daniel Da Silva cat's interesting because, like, first 90 seconds of, like, every fight, he looks amazing. Like, he looks really fucking good. And he's good everywhere. Like, in, in the Molina fight, he's coming out there with these stabbing front kicks. I mean, throw some big bombs. In the uh, Altamirano fight, well, firstly, in the Figgy fight, landed a nice takedown. In the Alter Murano fight, he's rolling for, I mean, for arm bars off his back, and like the attempts were pretty slick. Hit a nice spinning back fist. Like, offensively speaking, for the first ninety seconds, I like Daniel Da Silva. My issue is, for whatever reason, this dude falls apart every single fight. Like, you know. Two minutes into it, you know, uh, three minutes into it. at the three minute mark, you just close your eyes the first couple of minutes. If he's still there by the three minute mark, he just like falls apart. I don't think it's a cardio thing. I mean, I'm sure the guy looks in good shape to me. I'm sure he's running. I think it's a mental thing. And I'll tell you why. Another one of these guys like Edmund Shabazian that just ran through everybody in the first round on his regional scene, went past the first round once uh, in his regional scene. And as soon as he got to the UFC, you know, guys actually fought back. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, Daniel Da Silva, he can give it. The, the dude can give it. Like, we got to give it to him. He can give it. Just can't take it, unfortunately. And I think part of it's a mental thing, too. So hopefully for him, he saw, like, a sports shrink, got his shit together a little bit. Because let's put it this way. When you get finished your first three UFC fights in a row, usually you get cut right away. But the fact that they gave this guy, they let him finish out his four-fight contract, they didn't cut him off that off three finished losses in a row, that means that like he's entertaining. like He actually shows something in those 90 seconds. He just completely falls apart after, you know, after the minute and a half mark, right? So here's the thing with this kid, Vinicius Salvador. I like him, man. I like him. He's violent. He's massive for flyweight. He's only had one fight at flyweight, and it was his uh, contender series fight. So what's interesting about this kid, Vinicius Salvador, so a lot of people talk about the level of competition he fought, but they don't mention what I'm about to mention. So what I'm about to mention is this. So 
Again, Tapology is fucking doing it again. Give me a sec. These motherfuckers, man. I, I literally click a dude's profile and it'll take me to some fucking spam website, bro. Um. So anyways, his fight before Contender Series fight. Check this out. So Vinicius Salvador, he fights this O&O guy, right? And like everyone keeps talking about, oh my God, he fought an O&O guy. His level of competition is so shitty, this and that. Dude, he fought this O&O guy at... He, my boy said use ad blockers. I do use ad blockers. But anyways, this, he fought an O&O guy, right? Right before Contender Series. So everyone was shitting on him for it. But no one met. Is that O&O guy he fought? They fought at 155. So my boy, because if you watch the fight, like, Vinicius, like, it's like, damn, that dude ain't no flyweight. That, that dude was looking big. Like, no way this motherfucker's a flyweight. So, you know, knocks that guy out in the first round at 155. Then he drops to 125 for a contender series. And, like, man, his power translates at 125 in a way where, like, you know, obviously we've been wrong about certain prospects and this and that. But, like, and sometimes the way they perform a contender series, they don't always perform in their debuts. But, like, if what I saw in contender series is indicative of anything that we can expect, um, in the UFC, this guy is going to be a force to be reckoned with a flyweight because most of his career has been at either bantamweight or featherweight. And actually, some of the guys he's lost to are really fucking good, man. Like, especially that Rafael Costa guy who's now uh, 14 and three. Like, y'all keep an eye out on uh, Rafael Costa. Someone asked me, is he a shooter box guy? He's not a shooter box guy. He's actually, um, I think originally he was with the Mirajo brothers, like Yuri Alcantara. Um, Ildemar and you know D Davison Figueredo and uh, Amanda, uh, Amanda Lamosh, but now he's actually with Amanda Hebas's team, um, the Hebas family. So he's like a jujitsu black belt under them, and he's like the Hebas's like new prospect. So he's with uh, Amanda Hebas's team. Um, so kind of like what this dude, um, Venetia Salvador reminds me of. He reminds me kind of like a flyweight hybrid of like Johnny Walker meets michelle Pereira, meets alex cowboy kind of long in and out fights with his hands down but man he can crack he can grapple he can do it all and he's really experienced coming into the ufc he's already had 18 pro fights under his belt he's had his wins he's had his losses he's lost to some really fucking good guys like all the guys he lost to uh, besides the first one the first one in uh 2015 when he got knocked the fuck out that was 2015 you know Against a dude named Lex Luthor. The dude was like bald. He called himself Lex Luthor. Um, uh, it was Ellie Frank, Lex Luthor. Um, you know, besides that, like the last three guys he lost to are all legit. Like you could see those guys in the UFC one day, not to mention those fights were, you know, up a weight class, right? Like Bantamweight, Featherweight, this and that. Um, on Sherdog is saying some of these fights were flyweight. I don't, I don't think at all like some of these fights were flyweight, man, because, uh, this Rafael Acosta guy, who he's the the best guy that you know Vinicius lost to. That guy is definitely not a flyweight man. That shit was at bantamweight. So, anyways, Vinicius fights at lightweight. Then he drops to uh, you know his fight right before contender series. Then he fights at flyweight on contender series, and he just goes out there. That power translates so nicely at bantamweight. And you know when he started getting tired, he wasn't backing off, man. I mean, he kept his foot on the pedal, and the power was still translating. Uh, you know, while while he was tired, man. And uh, I just think that 
he's a lot mentally stronger than a guy like Daniel De Silva. I love Daniel De Silva, especially early, man. The guy is exciting. You know, trains with Charles Oliveira. Oh, you said is he a shoot the box guy? Yeah, Tra uh, Daniel De Silva is the shoot the box guy, not a uh, Vinicius. Um, but man, I mean, I love the early going for for Daniel. It's just my issue with Daniel is again he's got Edmund Shabazian syndrome, man. Like. You know, if a fight gets extended, if you fight back, he'll break, you know, but and I expect Vinicius to fight back, uh, you know, so for that reason, I think Vinicius probably comes out here, knocks this kid out, knocks him down and ground and pounds him or just knocks him clean out. So, yeah, I'm gonna go with Vinicius Salvador to, to win this fight inside the distance. And I think he's someone uh, potentially to look out for. So, yeah, I'm gonna go with Vinicius Salvador. It's just sometimes, like I said, these contender series guys. Not all the time, but sometimes like you'll see like a master masterful performance like Daniel Zilhuber put on on Contender Series, and then he'll just he's, you know shit the bed uh, in in his debut, and it's not even about his abilities. It's just you know the kid was you know had those UFC jitters or whatever. And, you know I expect Zilhuber to look good his next fight. So as long as Vinicius you know doesn't freeze under the lights, man, I think he's someone to be reckoned with. So I'm excited about that. Now last but not least. Last fight of the card, man. Everybody do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. In the Bantamweight division, we got Cameron Simon. He's 6-0 representing South Africa, taking on Steven Kozlo, who's also 6-0. Currently, they got it. Cameron Simon, minus 325. The comeback on Steven Kozlo is plus 270. This is a really hard fight to predict. So when I say a uh, fight's hard to predict and there's a plus 270, maybe I should go ahead and bet it. I'm just not sure because it's like with Cameron Simon, He's fought better competition, but the better competition he's fought has been trash competition. Like the best guy he fought was on contender series. And, you know, that was one, that was another one of these guys who threw everything but the kitchen sink. And when the opponent was still there, he said, okay, I'm going to pack it in and go home. You know, so whereas Steven Coslow hasn't fought a single guy with a, with a winning record. So they've both fought absolute shit competition. Um, I like what I've seen from Coslo. I'm not going to front. I like what I've seen from Coslo. Like, I get it. He's crushed cans, but, like, he's looked good crushing cans. The guy's got some nasty jujitsu, trains out of Fusion XL, you know, under Julian Williams, who's a serious black belt. So when you're training out of Fusion XL, that means you got guys like Phil Rowe there. You got guys like Jacques Array. You got guys like Rodolfo Vieira. You got guys like Mike Beast Boy Davis. So he's got some very good looks in that gym at Fusion XL. And... I like the fact that, you know, do you, do y'all get those fucking spam calls like every fucking five minutes, man? Shit's unbelievable. And then you get those political texts and you press stop and then they send you 40 more. And I already voted, man. So stop fucking blowing up my line. But, uh, the Steven Coslow guy, I love the way that he would absolutely dismantle these people on the regional scene. Like he'd go out there, take these guys down ground and pound. And then, you know, go for a mounted triangle, go go to his back and finish off the triangle. You have to be super confident in your grappling to pull off some shit like that. So some of the stuff I've seen this dude Coslo do is extremely slick. Again, against lower competition, but extremely slick. And with Cameron Saman, like what I know about him is I know he trains with Drickus Duplicy in South Africa. He's fought better competition, but still trash competition. Probably the more well-rounded guy as far as I can see, because I just don't know what, Coslo stand-up looks like like I, I don't know i haven't seen it so this is a fight where you either take the underdog shot on steven Coslo, you know one unit half a unit just to see or you sit back 
take notes, mental notes, and like see exactly where these guys are at and then, you know, act accordingly in their next fights. Um, Because I just don't have enough info, right? So based off that, me not knowing, I'll actually go with Coslo because it seems like a dog or pass situation, but it's not like a convicted play where I'm like, oh man, this line's off. I don't know if it's off. I'm just, it's, it, I'm just like not sure. Like I really have no idea. So for that reason, I'll go with the plus two seventy dog. But I really have no idea what these guys are gonna look like. So I mean, two six and no guys. Usually you don't see guys with that level, that little you know experience level, uh, you know, in the UFC. So you know, the, there's guys I know that have eighteen pro fights that aren't in the UFC yet. Like my boy Robert Hale. Should sign Robert Hale before you sign these two guys. No disrespect to these two guys. These kids, I like these kids. It's just that, you know, let them get their feet wet, man. Let them fucking have, you know, some more fights under the belt. Let's see all areas of their game. Um, and sign my boy Robert King Hale. Um, but anyways, thank you all so much for being here. Um, I truly, truly appreciate it. Um, smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. The fight to watch is in the flyweight division. I already talked about it. It's uh, Vinicius Salvador versus Daniel De Silva. Like, this fight, as long as it lasts, I mean, these guys, it's going to be hell on wheels, man. Someone's going to hit the deck. I'd be surprised if these guys came out conservative for this fight, man. Like, I truly believe that these two are going to go balls to the wall. It's going to be like they're double parked in front in front of a fire hydrant, and uh, the police are on the way, you know, so... They're going to fight like the house is on fire, man. So, And I think someone's hitting the deck. So, And if Vinicius is the guy I think he might be, then he is someone you absolutely need to look out for to make a name for himself in the flyweight division. And Daniel De Silva badly needs to be back on track if he wants to stick around in the UFC, considering his start. And the fact that the matchmakers gave him a fourth matchup after getting finished his first three means that they respected the first three fights. And how could you not? They were all, they were all entertaining. but. I will go with Vinicius Salvador, and I'm going to go with Salvador versus uh, De Silva to be my fight to watch. Now, my fighter to watch. This is, this is I could go with Magomed Ankaliev because that's, you know, my bet on the card as of right now. I, I could go with Alex Hernandez and Billy Q, but I, I'm going to go with uh, Joaquin Buckley, man. I mean, this is a kid who, he's had some brilliant moments, had one of the most devastating flashy knockouts in the history of the sport it's had some other great knockouts has had some big moments is talking about dropping to 170 after this fight just had that big appearance on joe rogan like i think he's got star potential it's just just needs the consistency to get there you know had that fight with imavov first two rounds the size difference was too much but in that third round he put it on imavov man like i think buckley's got a lot of skills and a lot of potential just needs that consistency. And I think if he comes out here and makes a statement against Chris Curtis, who the fans really respect, then I think he can be well on his way to, you know, getting up there and being someone that, you know, may maybe a co-main event is next fight on a fight night. You know what I mean? Maybe a, maybe a big fight next. So yeah, I'm going to go with walking Buckley to be my fighter to watch. Well, we did it guys. I truly appreciate y'all being here. UFC 282 going on this Saturday night live in Las Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena. Magomed Ankalee versus Jan Blahovic. Y'all can follow me at Best Fight Picks on Twitter at Half the Battle Pod on Instagram. Um, you can subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. My bets are posted 
I either give them out here, but since I recorded this on Tuesday, I only gave out the Magomed and Khalif bet. Um, but the rest I'll post on my Twitter at Best Fight Picks and on my betmma.tips slash Best Fight Picks. Um, that's where I track all my bets. So, guys, thank you all so much for everything. I truly appreciate y'all's support. It means a lot to me. I guess I'll go through the comments real quick, see if y'all uh, left me any questions. If you got any questions for me, I'd be happy to answer them now. And then after that, I'm going to get out. What, what's up, my boy? I'm going to get out of here. So my boy, the Fight Supervisor podcast said, Christmas is coming early. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. MMA Gurley, welcome back to Half the Battle. He's your host. That's right. I am your host. But welcome back to Half the Battle. You got to put a little emphasis into that. My boy Pepe likes my shirt. I like, I'm sure you're wearing a nice shirt. And I like uh, my cousin Vinny. You, you already know what it is. My boy Reed said, I have a beautiful singing voice. Thank you very much. My boy, Any Action, says the Dagestani takeover continues Saturday. I sure as hell hope so. Um, let's see. My boy, Joseph, said, what's up, Dan? Been missing all the live streams, but super appreciative of all your content. I'm super appreciative of you being appreciative of my content. Uh, grateful dude says the Polish power is real. I agree. My boy, WizBets. Shout out to the chat. Shout out to my boy, Dan. Shout out to my boy, WizBets. Y'all keep an eye on this kid. I think he's legit. Um, let's see. Dexter Pope, he wanted a Grundy. <laughs> uh, DD said, Patty is a lock. This one is easy. UFC obviously knows what they're doing with the matchmakers here. Okay. Well, let's see. I mean, he was a lock against that a grown man that twerks, but you know, Jared Gordon's actually a real fighter. So, um, Moy says Morano's awkward style gets him the dub. Interesting, interesting. Frank's asking me how I'm doing. How you doing, Frank? I'm doing amazing. Thank you for asking. Let's see what else y'all got for me. My boy Andy in the house said, bro, Dan, fiery on all cylinders today. I legit was saying the same thing. Thank you. Thank you so much, bro. I appreciate that. Got my boy Marcus in the house. He, I know he's got a big bet on Drinkus Duplessis, so I wish you the best with that. You know, shout out to my boy Marcus. Make make sure if y'all are in my city, Atlanta, y'all check out uh, the Nubian Bookstore. You know what I'm saying? You know, I got love for the Nubian Bookstore. Um, DD says Alex Hernandez is going to get big murked by Billy Q. Yeah, deep waters, deep waters. He will. Um, Damien says Drinkus fights so ugly he's going to get caught. That's that's the concern, of course. You won't get broken mentally, though, I'll tell you that. Man, there's so much. Man, y'all left me a lot of comments, which I truly, truly appreciate, man. Thank you so much. Um, okay, let's see. Anything else? Uh, he said, you think Mitchell versus Tapoya goes over or under 2.5? I had a pick. Probably over, but... I doubt there's value in that line. I don't know what the line is. But at the same time, Taporia can crack, man, and either guy can submit. So I don't know. I don't know. I'd rather just pick a side and unless I have conviction on the over-under. Um, Joe said, Levy, smart as fuck. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that, bro. All right, y'all. Thank you all so much. Hey, so after this is done, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and then leave me a comment. That helps the fucking algorithm. That's the way we, you know, grow the show. You share, you do all those little things. Truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you all again. 
I'll be back next week for the last card of 2022. And then I got some exciting podcast plan. I'm going to be doing, um, you know, the best of KO of the year, fight of the year, blah, blah, blah. Going to be doing the, you know, predicting the champions this time next year. And then also going to do a bold predictions for 2023 show as well. So even on the weeks off, going to have content. So y'all keep, y'all keep it locked in to half the battle. Thank y'all again for everything. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.